don't know about you, but I love an underdog story. I love a comeback story, and to me, the ultimate comeback story is The Lion King. It might surprise you, um, or if you know me, maybe it doesn't surprise you, but I think it is one of, if not the greatest movies ever made. Not only does it have a cracking soundtrack, which to be honest, I'd love to just sing to you for the rest of this time, um, but I'll spare you that one, one woman show. Um, but it is through and through a story of purpose, and more specifically, a story of someone running away from their purpose, only to find it in the end. I'm sure most of us will have seen it at some point, so I'm not going to spend too much time catching us up on what it's about. Um, but just super briefly, uh, the story follows the life of Simba, um, a young lion cub. Um, he's the heir to the throne um, of the Pride Lands um, after his dad Mufasa. But after his uncle Scar kills his dad in an attempt to become king, already dramatic enough, he then manipulates Simba into thinking that it's his responsibility and Simba flees to exile. He then spends his sort of teenage years as an outcast with Timon and Pumbaa, the lovable um, meerkat and warthog duo. But he couldn't stay there forever and after his childhood friend Nala and Rafiki the baboon come and find him um, somehow, he returns to the Pride Land to challenge Scar and take his place as the rightful king. Hasn't this movie just got all of it? I mean, it's got the drama, it's got the family drama, it's got the tragedy, it's got the humour, it's got the love. But it also has some really big themes um, that I hadn't picked up on until I was a bit older and I watched it again. And I think there's some quite big um, sort of biblical parallels that we can see as well. And through that, I think we can learn a lot about what God wants for us, what he doesn't want for us, um, and what it means to live a life um, chasing after that purpose. But before we look at Simba's purpose and his destiny, I think we first need to look at what it was that was stopping him from fulfilling the thing he was born to do, and that was to be king and to carry peace in the Pride Lands. So what was stopping him? When Scar carried out his plan, he convinced Simba that it was all his fault. He was the reason his dad had died. Don't know about you, but that seems like an awful burden to place on a child, um, let alone anyone. When Scar finds Simba by Mufasa's body and Simba's distraught, knowing his dad is dead, Scar says this line. He says, Simba, what have you done? And then he goes on to say it after Simba says, it was an accident, I didn't mean this. He says, the king is dead, and if it weren't for you, he'd still be alive. What will your mother think? That is a horrible thing. This person that Simba trusted, this family member that he thought was looking out for the best for him, just absolutely betrayed him and told him everything his fault, and that he's just killed his own dad. Can you imagine how quickly the feelings of guilt and shame would have hit Simba in that moment? Not only would he have felt responsible, but he was probably afraid at that point then to go back home and tell his mum what had happened and see her, um, and tell everyone else for that matter what had happened as well. Shame becomes the primary motivator for Simba on how he moves on to live the next section of his life. And he runs away to live in exile, away from the Pride Lands. 
But I think there are a few things that we can pull out of this story. And the first one is that we can be released from shame. And in our lives, it can be so easy if you feel ashamed of something to be paralysed by it. It's so easy to feel like you're stuck and you can't move anywhere. It can be easy for that shame to dictate the decisions you make, the places you go, the people you interact with, how you do your job and what you think of yourself. Patrick Regan, um, who you might have heard of, um, he's written some books and he's involved in um, a lot of sort of great charities and organisations over the years, um, said at an event that I was at in April, he said, shame says, I am wrong. Shame says, who do you think you are? And shame says, you are not enough. The truth is, shame lies to us. Shame and guilt are different. Guilt is, I have done wrong and I need to do something about it. Shame is just, I am wrong. There is something wrong with me. I think it was Brenny Brown who said, shame loves secrecy, silence and judgment. Who else loves it when we live lives um, in shame? Right, the enemy loves nothing more than when we are stuck in that place of shame. When we're stuck in a place of shame, it can be easy for us to put on the blinders to what God is saying. It can be easy for us to plug our ears because we don't think we're worth hearing what he's saying. Just as Scar twisted the truth to put the shame on Simba, the enemy is an expert at twisting the truth. When we're stuck in that place of shame, we can often think, oh, I can never do that. And we turn away from the purposes God has for us. I know in my life I've had a few times where I made decisions or maybe done something or said something and I've been left with that feeling of I guess guilt of that shouldn't have happened but also a deep sort of shame that does just keep you stuck where you are and you think I can never go forward because of this but I can't go back either because it's happened and you kind of feel like you're ended up in this limbo state of not knowing where you are and we look at Jesus in the New Testament and we can see an incredible image of how Jesus meets people in their shame. He wants to meet people um, and bring his light to that shame. And we see him in John 4 when he meets the woman at the well. She's there at midday on a hot day so that no one else will be around her. And he says, I know who you are, I know your story. Have the water that I can give you, have the life that I have for you. And she didn't expect that at all. She would not have been talking to a Jewish man at that time of day, let alone at any time of day in public like that. But Jesus saw her where she was, spoke into her shame and said, there's no need to be ashamed. And that led to her having a transformation and she went back to her village sharing what Jesus had said and what he'd done and they followed Jesus. In the same way, when Jesus met with Zacchaeus, he sees him in what I think was probably quite a shameful position for Zacchaeus to be in. In Luke 19, verses 1 to 6, um, if you want to jump there, if you've got a Bible, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus looked at him and saw the person behind the shame. He chose to spend time with him. And Zacchaeus' life was transformed because of it. He gave back what he'd taken times four. He gave what he had away to make up for what had happened. When Jesus meets us, he transforms us. When we let him bring his light into the things we're ashamed of, it gives us the opportunity to be free of those things. And this freedom can lead to us stepping into the purposes and plans of God. When I was thinking about this, I couldn't help again to see the parallels with the story of Moses. I think there are some pretty big similarities in Simba's story. Um, they both had a greater call on their lives than they knew, but they were both paralysed by shame and also by fear. So if we jump quickly just to look at Exodus 2 verses 11 to 15. It says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And so it is a little bit different to Simba's story, but if we strip it back to the very core, something traumatic happened, they both ran away, they both felt ashamed, and they both tried to hide from their purpose. If you know the rest of the story of Moses, you'll know that he did indeed return to Egypt after meeting God in a burning bush of all places. And the Lord used him to do incredible things and used him to save a nation. See, we have a realised purpose. It can be easy to say, I can't do that until I deal with X or I need to wait for Y to be sorted before I can do what God's calling me to. Simba thought the easiest thing to do was to hide from his family forever and his friends forever and not go back because what he thought he'd done was so terrible. Moses thought, I'm not the person to do that because I'm not good at speaking and I can't do it and I can't go back. And God said to Moses, take Aaron with you. And I think for some things it is true that you have to do one thing before you can do another. I think there's a lot of learning in that process of waiting. For example, you can't be a doctor unless you go to medical school. You can't just wake up one day and say, today I'm a doctor. But someone said to me a few years ago, and I don't think I'll ever forget it, they said, don't wait to be fixed to do what you think God is asking you to do. If you spend all your time waiting, you'll run out of time to be doing. And that hit me, because for so long I thought, I need to get this sorted before I can do anything else. And yes, for some things that might be the case, but if we let that shame or that guilt or that fear paralyse us from stepping into the purposes that God has for us, we're never going to do the things that God has for us. And the great thing is, we don't have to do it alone. Simba went with his friends to face Scar. They stood beside him as he faced what was in front of him. 
And in the same way, when God sent Moses to Egypt with Aaron, he was sent with support. Who has God put around you to be your backup as you follow the voice of God over your life? Who has God put around you for you to be the backup as they follow the voice of God over their life? Because we live in relationship with each other and with Jesus. We don't have to do it alone. It can be easy to forget that when you're in the middle, if you're in a place of shame or fear, if you're in a place of doubting the voice of God over what your purpose is. But I would encourage each of us to look around and see the community around us. How can we support each other? How can we cheer each other on? How can we be championing each other to chase after the purposes of God? It still seems strange to me that Simba went to see Scar before he knew that it was a lie, that it was his fault. But I think we can learn a lot from that. We don't have to have the whole story to be able to move. We just need the bit of the story that God has told us. If I had seen in my life the whole plan so far when I was 12, I probably would have run away and said, I'm never going to do that. You know, as you build up to stuff, God gives you the little steps to stand on and gain confidence in him and in the abilities he's put in you. So that when it comes time to do the stuff, you're ready. So as we come to a close this morning, I just want to pray for us. Um, if you want prayer for anything, just hit the live prayer button if you're watching with us on Sunday morning. Um, one of our hosts would love to pray with you. But why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and meet with us now? Jesus, you know um, what's going on with each one of us just now. Maybe you want to put your hands out just to say, um, I'm here, I'm open. Um, if you don't want to do that, that's fine as well. Jesus, where shame has taken a foothold in our lives, would you come and shine your light on that? Jesus, we know there's power in sharing these things with each other. Would you encourage us as we um, are open with you and open with the people around us? Father God, would you take away that shame? Would each person... Um, at church today know that shame is not of you. You're not in the business of making us feel ashamed of ourselves. Um, I think maybe there's, could be, I could be wrong, but there could be someone who, when I was talking about sort of decisions that I've made or things that I've done that left me feeling like I can't go forward but I can't go back because it's happened. Um, so I felt like that kind of related with someone. Um, 
So if that's you, I would encourage you just to hit that prayer button. We would love to pray with you today. Yeah, Jesus, your desire is not for us to be ashamed, but to be free. So would you um, fill us with your spirit to experience that freedom? Father God, for those of us who are questioning what is our purpose, what are you calling us to, would you open our eyes to the little seeds that you've planted around us? Would you open our eyes to the ways that you're moving and the opportunities that you're opening? Would you close doors that are clearly not for us and would you make the ones that are easily open? And Father God, as we, um, yeah, as we think about what it means to be um, a champion for each other and encouragement to each other, would you highlight to us those people that you want us to be alongside, to cheer them on and encourage them and help them on their way? Yeah, would you be with us um, as we journey what it looks like to live in freedom and to live chasing after your purpose? Yeah, in Jesus' name.